Well, with that, let's pray. <laughs> God, thank you. You are good. You are with us. You are doing so many incredible things uh, here in this uh, funky little church family. Um, thanks for the new folks that are, that are coming and discovering you. Uh, thanks for the folks that have been a part of this family for a long time uh, who are faithful and committed to what you've been up to over the course of many years. Uh, and thanks that we all get to come together under your name, Jesus, uh, and that we get to be the family of God, the body of Christ. I pray this morning through the words that I speak that no matter if I say it well or I completely bomb, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show up in ways um, that would cause the things that you want to stick in our heart to stay and stick in our hearts. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Wednesday was the beginning of this season that we call Lent. I didn't grow up in a tradition where we celebrated or observed Lent, but Ash Wednesday was the beginning of that. And frankly, I'll, be, I'll tell you, I was a little surprised. I honestly thought maybe... You know, 15, 20 of us would be here, but this whole middle section was just about full of people, um, which was delightful, and we we had a wonderful time beginning this season of Lent, which is the 40 days up to Good Friday, which is when Jesus died, and then a couple days later, we celebrate his resurrection at Easter, but the idea of following this season is for us to enter into the story of, of Jesus' journey to the cross uh, where he was a ransom for our sins and then his resurrection again on Easter. Now, usually in many church tradi- traditions where they observe Lent, this idea behind Lent, um, uh, the themes of the sermons often have to do with repentance and returning to God, which is a wonderful thing. And so Jim and I actually had a whole different angle of where we were going with, with the sermons for Lent and we just look back at the last few things that God's been doing through, through the seminar that Rena did and, and the messages she has brought and through the retreat that the guys were on and just even some of the stuff he's been doing with some smaller groups of us. And, and late in the day on Thursday, um, we started talking and, and both quickly, um, Jim sparked the idea and I went, he was absolutely right, that, that this is the right time for us to enter into going through uh, portions of the book of Matthew, and we're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to eventually start pick up here with chapter 5 of Matthew, but it just seemed right because um, the Beatitudes is what most people call this portion that we're going to start with, and we want to take a deeper look at these Beatitudes, which again, I'll explain that if you're not familiar with that term. Now, about 30 years ago, I heard um, Dave Johnson who is a mentor, who's been my senior pastor. He's mentored Jim as well. He actually, it's his fault that we met. Um, so when he's here in the next couple of weeks or so, you can blame Dave that, that Jim and I got connected. Um, but Dave, I, it had to be about 30 years ago that, that I heard him teach through these verses that we're going to look at today um, and unpack it unlike anyone I had ever heard before that or since And in fact, lots of what um, I have learned, and I think probably Jim as well, um, Dave has helped shape, especially when it comes to these passages of Scripture. And in fact, Dave will be in town this month um, for a shorter stay than last year, and and on one of our Sundays this month, he'll be teaching one of the messages. Um, I think it's just an excuse to escape the Minnesota winter, but we'll we'll be nice to him anyway. Um, 
And by the way, there's six weeks between now and Easter, and I'm pretty sure this series is going to last longer than six weeks, so it'll, it'll lay out over the other end of Easter as well, because we really want to look through these statements of Jesus um, and take as long as it takes to teach through it. And in fact, we may just keep going through the Sermon on the Mount, because um, that's you know, a pretty good idea for us to teach what Jesus was teaching. Wouldn't you say that's not a bad way to go? So... So that's kind of our plan uh, as we try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is up to. But to get us to this Matthew 5 text that we're going to camp out on for the next two or three months or so, I want to track us back to where we are in the story of the life of Jesus when he delivers this thing we now call the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Real quick, if we back up to chapter 4 of Matthew, uh, that's where Jim taught uh, a few weeks ago. Um, about Jesus being tempted by Satan in the desert. Now, once that episode of Jesus' temptation is over, in chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry. So, here we go. It's on. Like, finally, finally, Jesus' ministry begins. Now, before this part we're about to pick up, before all this, before his ministry, uh, Jesus has been, you know, like, we don't have a ton of info, but he's been growing up. Um, we imagine he's been mastering his trade as a carpenter. He's doing all the stuff young Jewish men do. Uh, Then we see him get baptized. Um, And then sometime after the age of 30, which would have been the right time to begin as a rabbi, so it wasn't just a random, you know, age. Uh, People wonder why Jesus waited until he was 30. That was the time. Um, And after that age, he begins his ministry. And at the end, again, we're in chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, we're going to breeze through this real quick. Here's what Jesus does. I put the verses up on the screen here. Uh, Jesus called his first disciples. Um, I'll just, that's the summary. He calls his first disciples. And then, next slide, uh, verse 23 is, says that Jesus, and I'll summarize this, Jesus taught in the synagogues, right, because he was a, a rabbi, a teacher. Um, his message was the kingdom of God, uh, the good news of the kingdom. And apparently, maybe just for fun, he um, heals people and casts out demons and uh, just all kinds of wild stuff. Now, next verse here says, large crowds from all over the place in his area, large crowds followed him. Large crowds. Large crowds. Holy cow. Like, Jesus starts and bang, it is happening. I mean, can you imagine... And put yourself in that time frame. What a beginning. Wow, can you imagine this, this, this carpenter guy? That's all most of them knew him as. He's, you know, he's traveling around. And he's preaching the kingdom of God, which, quick summary, is he's saying, hey, this thing that all of you have been waiting for for your whole life, all of you Jewish folks that have been waiting for the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, you've been waiting for it, and here it is. And on top of proclaiming, hey, the kingdom of God is finally here, he's sort of proven the point by healing people and casting out demons and seeing people set free. So here at the end of chapter 4, things are really looking up. Like the buzz is high, the crowds are coming, the stage is set. If it were today, Jesus would need a booking agent and a handling team so he can just kind of harness all this excitement and build himself a massive following. I mean, if it were today, the press would be calling for interviews. There'd got to be a book deal on the horizon. All the big synagogues would definitely be booking Jesus to speak at their next event, right? Jesus is like a hot rising rock star, okay? 
So that was the last verse in chapter four. Chapter five's next. And if you don't know what's coming, you might be like, oh, wow, I bet he just finds a way. He's going to harness all this publicity. And he's going to show the world that he is the next American idol, right? Israeli idol, I guess, would be more appropriate, right? So um, here you go. And, and imagine, again, let's say you're one of his disciples. What you've just seen, before we get to this chapter 5, what you've just seen is like a few days or weeks earlier, Jesus called you. Like you'd been out, you know, collecting taxes or fishing or planning a revolution and overthrow of the governments, um, which was kind of some of the <laughs> professions of the ones he called. You're doing that, and all of a sudden this unknown Jesus dude says, hey, follow me. And for some reason, you do. And you follow him, and you just watch all this stuff unfold, like the, the, the paralyzed people that you've seen forever just sitting on the side of the road start to walk. People that you know have been blind because you've lived in their village, they've been blind forever, can now see. The deaf start to hear. You see sick people instantly, bang, just healed. Like demons get cast out of, of, of possessed people, and you're blown away. Can you imagine? You'd be like, wow, this is unbelievable. And then as word starts to spread throughout the region, Massive crowds begin to form. These groups of dozens turn into groups of hundreds and then thousands. And imagine if you were one of these hand-selected disciples of Jesus, you'd be like, you could not believe your luck, right? Like, I bet the 12 were kind of looking at each other going, guys, we totally made the right decision here, right? This Jesus guy, he's a real winner, right? He delivered the goods. We just got in on the ground floor of the biggest thing to hit Galilee in centuries, I mean, we're talking real power here, guys, like status and, and respect. No more will people be calling us losers. Like, we're, we're part of Jesus' posse. And Jesus is talking about a kingdom. <laughs> well, I tell you what, when he becomes king and we're his crew, that means something incredible for us. Our status is really going to go up. And that's my guess at what their mood would have been like at the end of chapter 4. Pretty excited, pretty much on top of the world. So what happens next? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, so his disciples, climbed with him, arriving in a quiet place, so away from the crowd. Arriving in a quiet place, he sat down. Now, wait a minute, Jesus, what are you thinking here, right? Je Jesus had everybody's attention, their curiosity. They're all amazed. They're all impressed. There are thousands of people waiting to hear him teach and to see him do more miracles. And instead of working the crowd or trying to figure out how to maintain the crowd or to grow the numbers even larger, he withdrew from the crowd. <laughs> it's like, what is up with this Jesus guy? I mean, didn't Jesus know you got to get everybody fired up and then keep them entertained or they're just going to go away to another show? I mean, Jesus has the crowd right where he wants them. It's kind of a bad time to, you know, go mountain climbing. <laughs> it makes me think of kind of any hot happening church of which I've been a part of and worked at before. Um, 
But the mindset at a hot happening church is, hey, when you finally are able to draw a crowd, shouldn't we be figuring out how to keep it up, how to grow it even bigger? Isn't that the goal? Like wear yourself out and make sure all the customers are happy. Make sure you have a little option for every conceivable group so that they all keep coming back. I mean, apparently Jesus, what he did here, he hasn't been reading the, the latest books on marketing or church growth. Like he's really could screw things up here. Um, but Jesus calmly and intentionally did just that. He walked away from the crowd right while they were expecting the next round of miracles to occur. Okay, so there we go. That was chapter one. Verse two, um, let's see, arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his disciples. And this is what he said. Now, time out here for a second. If you're one of the disciples, and Jesus kind of blows it here in your mind, you're like, Jesus, like this big moment for all this flash and momentum and this stuff that we could have captured and built the crowd even more, Jesus just blew it and walks away to go sit on the mountainside, right? And so if Jesus walked away from all that momentum, and now Jesus is going to teach you something, what might you expect to hear? Or what might you hope to hear? Just turn to your neighbor here and just just wonder out loud. uh, If Jesus walked away from all that momentum like he did, and now Jesus is going to teach you something, so imagine you're there, what might you expect to hear or might you hope to hear? Go ahead and just spit some ideas at your friend there. Not literally spit, but you know. Neighbor, let your neighbor get a chance to respond for a minute here. Have anything to say? Okay. All right. Anybody over here? Anything? Any responses on this side of the room? You guys weren't. You guys weren't ready because we usually start over there, right? Brandon. Yeah, yeah. so Jesus, of course, he's going to tell you about the plans for this new kingdom and what roles and who gets the responsibilities and the authority and titles, all that stuff. Yeah? That's good. That's pretty good. How about over here in the middle? Yeah, Bruce. He'd be passing the collection basket. That's right. Amen. That's good. Anybody else? Okay, Bruce is the winner on this one here. Okay, so how about over here? Anybody here have anything? Make sure you get their contact information. Amen. Speaking of, if you haven't yet updated your info for us, use that Connect card so we can. Maybe. They're creating Connect cards. There we go. Anybody else? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. What's the plan? We'd want to know what's the plan for overthrowing this oppressive. Roman government who has been put a, putting us under their thumb for a long, long time, right? Because this new kingdom's coming. <clears throat> so there you go. I, 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 
I think all of those are fantastic answers. Um, here's, here's what I would probably do, just confession time here. I'd be like, hey, Jesus, all that stuff we just watched you do, like, how'd you do that stuff? Like, Jesus, you were totally awesome, man. Like, you know, the thing you did with the blind guy and then the, the person that was deaf and then that demon possessed. Like, how did you pull all that off? Right? I mean, honestly, if it were me sitting there seeing all that stuff that he did, I would want him to show me how to do the miracle kingdom of God casting out demon stuff. Like, how do I make blind people see Jesus? And how do we get crippled people to walk? And how do we get the deaf to hear? It must have been that hand movement, right? That hand movement that he did on that one guy. Or, or maybe it was that little breath of air he blew. Like, Jesus, show me how to blow the breath of air so the guy gets healed. I was so cool, right? And Jesus, Jesus, I would probably be asking if... While you're at it, can you just show me how to draw a big crowd? Because I'd sure love to have thousands of people in my church. Like, that would be so rad. Dude, that's what I'd want to learn. Like, I think I'm digging this kingdom of God message of Jesus because I'm seeing miracles and big crowds. It looks pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Okay. Back to the text. Verse 2, arriving at a quiet place. That's not what he did. He sat down, taught his disciples. This is what he said, not any of the stuff I would have wondered about. He said these really interesting phrases, which we now call the Beatitudes. Blessed, let's read these out loud together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And what he taught them in that moment when all the momentum was really big was something about the way that life works in the kingdom of God. I could picture him saying, hey guys, I've got some good news for you and some bad news for you. Uh, In fact, Dave Johnson, he imagined Jesus kind of talking to his disciples at this very moment. What he's saying under all of this is, uh, hey guys, all that power that you saw me demonstrate, it's real. And it's all for you. This kingdom, the kingdom of God, is about authority over sickness and authority over demons. It is about power and glory. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And guys, I want you to experience all of it. It's the good news. But the bad news is this. Jesus is saying to them in these sentences, in these phrases, in this teaching, guys, my kingdom is not going to always come the way that you think. My kingdom This kingdom that I have brought to earth is not for the powerful and the power hungry. No, this kingdom that I've brought is not for the self-gratified and the self-gratifying. Rather, this is a kingdom of power who will be realized. That power will be realized and experienced by those who are weak and dependent and mourning over their sin and hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So guys, I imagine here, Jesus saying, if you yearn for the power and the glory and all these amazing miracles and political power, all that stuff, if that's what you yearn for, you will never know the reality of the kingdom of God that you seek because in my kingdom, blessed are the broken. In my kingdom, 
The power goes to the people that are broken and through the brokenness where my power will flow. And so again, and Jesus teaches this, like they had to be scratching their heads like, uh, okay, cool. Hey, Jesus, aren't you going to be showing us that cool miracle demon casting out stuff yet, right? Like, okay, let's get through this. And uh, because I know like even what we're like today, right? We love to jump on board the latest fad um, and ride it out, right? Teach us some tips and tricks and let's try to look like we're doing something important and cool. We want to be at the top of our game. We want to look important. We want status and power and popularity and fame and control. But in fact, um, well, here, let me talk about how I finally started to understand this teaching of Jesus. When I first started to understand this teaching of Jesus, and this is how it works when we're walking with God and living in his story, in his way, um, this was a confrontation to my arrogance and my drive to be admired and successful. And let me promise you, nowhere in Bible college, nowhere in the church growth leadership seminars we were all flocking to, was there a class on being broken, hungry, or meek? Um, No way, man. Like, we were taught to, this will date me a little bit, but uh, we were taught to dress for success, which obviously I failed that class, but that's all right. (laughs) We uh, had books given to us like how to... Win friends and manipulate, I mean, influence people. Um, Stuff like that, right? We spent lots of time and money being trained to be invincible, confident leaders. And they would tell us, if you're not confident, just pretend you are. Never let them see you sweat. Fake it till you make it. Which doesn't sound very honest. Because living that way, and I know this firsthand from doing it in my life before, living that way leads to pretending. Pretending that you have all the answers, that, that nothing phases you, that you always know what to do. Pretending leads to hiding because nobody can know that I'm actually bluffing. And that kind of pretending in performance is just another way that we wear a mask. And wearing masks, as some of you know, leads to exhaustion. Because when you are wiped out, when, when you get to the end of your rope, when you actually are broken, you have a choice. You can go back and try to get a few more tips and tricks. You can read another book. You can, you can hit another seminar and get back out there again and try harder. You can do that. Or when you get to the end of your rope, maybe we can start wondering, what did I miss? Maybe that teaching on Jesus that Jesus did on being poor in spirit, on being broken and meek and hungry and thirsty, maybe, maybe that points to a different way, a different pathway than the one that the world and even sometimes Christian, well-meaning Christian folks try to throw at me, these so-called experts that are wearing me out. Maybe there's another way. And so Jesus takes the values of the kingdom of this world and he turns them upside down. Every single one of these statements here, right? These are all countercultural statements. Jesus takes what seems valuable in our culture and he turns it on its head, which is really aggravating, isn't it? Like, he just flips it all around on us. And that's why we're going to go verse by verse through the next couple of months and, and unpack each one of these. And today is just kind of a flyover um, introduction. But it is really aggravating when you think about these statements. Uh, Tony Campolo. He points out that the Sermon on the Mount um, and the Beatitudes, this stuff here, he says it's like Christ walks into the window 
um, the display window of life, and he switches up all the price tags on the merchandise. That's what he's doing right here. I like what um, uh, Pastor Jim said better. He says, it's like Jesus goes into Goodwill, and he puts all the Macy's price tags on their secondhand merch, and then he goes to Macy's and puts all the Goodwill price tags on that stuff, right? Just, he just turns it upside down. But the truth is, it looks like the price tags are switched, but in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the ultimate reality. See, the kingdom of God, the way of God, is actually telling us what's really worthwhile, right? And what is cheap junk? What's worthwhile? What's cheap junk? It helps us to see that no matter what we've been led to believe by the kingdom of this world, that God's way, his value system, his core priorities, his way is the real story. It's the one worth living in. And any other story, any other way, apart from God, is not going to fulfill us. Jesus is saying, this is the way things really work. And remember, he's the one who created us. He designed our hearts. This is the only way that our hearts will be filled and find a place to drink. This is the only place our hunger and thirst will be quenched. But again, I'm not going to pretend this is easy stuff that we just should swallow and, you know, go home with and just say, all right, fine. Just for a moment, and next week we'll unpack this much more thoroughly, but just look at the first one, right? Here's the opening line. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven of heaven. Now, by the way, the kingdom of heaven, um, because Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, uh, Jesus is meaning the kingdom of God. But in Matthew, if you wonder why it says kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about we go to heaven after we die. No, because of their reverence for the name of God, you wouldn't write the name of God. So they substitute the kingdom of heaven. When you look in the other gospels, they say kingdom of God. So go ahead and substitute that so we don't get confused that we're thinking about going to heaven when you die. It's a a different deal. We'll unpack another time. But here's the value. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit is kind of a weird phrase. I mean, poor in spirit. You try to think about that. And what's it mean? I mean, it's totally upside down. Poor in spirit actually sounds a little goofy, a little weak. And so we have to wonder what Jesus is saying here. Now, I don't go as deep into linguistics when I teach, um, at least in terms of like putting it out there. Uh, we'll leave that to, to Dave Johnson when he's here this month. Um, but we don't want people to think that, that they needed a degree in Greek uh, in order to read their Bible because you don't need a degree. But this whole poor in spirit deal, it's not clear to me. So here's how one source, when you look back at the original languages, describes the phrase poor in spirit. It's up here on the screen. Okay, here's what poor in spirit means. One who is reduced to begging dependence. Mm, One who is broken. So that's a little clearer than poor in spirit, isn't it? But is that good news, right, for anybody? Are you like, oh, that's much better, right? No, no, not at all. Like, I don't think I like that. Poor and blessed are the one who is broken, I mean, I kind of would rather go back to poor in spirit because it sounds a little more mystical, like a monk sitting at the top of a mountain who has all his inner peace and all of life's answers, right? Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? I kind of like that mystical thing, but when we get down to what it really means, like seriously, begging dependence? What? Broken? Like, no, thank you. I am not interested in that. I've spent most of my life, honestly, trying to avoid being broken, I want to learn how to fix my crap or at least hide it really well so nobody else sees it. So when I hear the word broken, I'm like, no, 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 no. 
not broken. How about blessed are the strong and adequate, right? How about Jesus, you show us the secrets to success and bold leadership. You know, how about being tough and slick? Like, I mean, come on. Can you imagine a leader who is broken? Like, who would want to be a part of a ragtag group of messed up, broken people? I mean, that's upside down. What Jesus is saying, it's upside down to our conventional way of thinking in the kingdom of this world. Now, if I'm the disciples and I'm hearing this for the first time, I might be like, okay, okay, cool, Jesus, but can you just go back to showing me how to heal people and draw a big crowd? Like, that sounds more like a kingdom. That sounds like the power I want. I mean, think about it. Again, Jesus had been on this roll for a few days, big crowd, supernatural power. This would be a good time for explaining all of that stuff, like how to pray for healing and where to put your hands and how to cast out, you know, like low-carb demons, that kind of thing, right? It'd be perfect for this. But instead, Jesus takes this crucial moment and he wants us to, he wants to make sure that we know how the kingdom of God works. He doesn't want us to be confused. Is, is it that the kingdom is big? What's it like, Jesus? Is it big? Is, it, is the kingdom of God just grand and glorious? What's the first thing he wants to know? Again, not that it's big or grand and glorious. Um, not that the kingdom of God is for slick, high-performing, capable hotshots. Um, he doesn't want us to think that the kingdom of God is for the people who know all the right answers and have the right theology. No, in, in essence, what Jesus says here is you are blessed if you are poor in spirit. You are blessed if you are broken because the kingdom of God is for beggars. The kingdom of God is for those who have come to the end of their rope. It's for those who realize they have no hope apart from God. That's who gets the blessing. Those are the people who get it. And he's right, of course. See, the kingdom of God, path that Jesus offers us, it's for people who have given up trying to earn their way into heaven or to earn our way into God's good graces. So the high-performing religious types, you know, or the people with the latest and greatest formula for successful spiritual living, right? The, the slick, phony ones who are just trying to work off their checklist and hide, they're usually just selling something. But the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the, the meek, the, the peacemakers, those are the ones. See, the ones who have come to the end of themselves and can enter into this kingdom of God way of living where there's no more striving, no more pretending that it's good when it isn't. The kingdom of God is for the broken and the broken only. And it's upside down, isn't it? But friends, grace is upside down isn't it? Because only when I am feeling broken, only when I come to God with empty hands, knowing that without his grace that I have no hope, only then do I get grace. Which points to a difficult reality because the flip side of this teaching on the Beatitudes is a confrontation to those of us who have prided ourselves on our ability to tough it out. 
People that have all the right answers will find themselves confronted by Jesus in these words. Individuals who have pumped themselves full of their own adequacy and ability are forced to come to grips with these words of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. (laughs) Blessed are the beggars. They are the ones that get the grace. And that's how I come to Jesus. And I say, God, I see my only hope is you. My striving, my good religious performance, my, my ability to be a nice person and do good deeds, all of that stuff is worthless if it's what I'm depending on instead of you, Jesus. So Jesus, you are my only hope, so I come to you as I am. See, the good news is, friends, that the kingdom of God, his path, his way, it's for the broken. It's for those who realize that they cannot earn it. It's for those who are tired of faking it. Uh, those who finally have come to grips with the fact that we can't stop sinning on our own. And again, that sounds upside down to how our world thinks of things. I mean, think about this as a church here, right? Think about us here at Hope. You look at our sign out front, right? It says, no perfect people. Isn't that even kind of upside down for what people expect for, from a church? Am I right? Like, people see that, it makes them curious. How many of you, the first time you saw that, you were like, huh, what about that, right? We hear people all the time that that's why they've come to visit. That's like they just could not imagine or conceive, right? Because isn't church, most people think, isn't church a place to go on Sunday morning where we look our best and we fake it till we make it, right? Isn't church a place for people who act like they have all the answers? Now, I've been in churches like that. Anybody else been in a church that acts like they have all the answers? Wow, nobody. Okay. Oh, just me. Just, okay, a couple of us. Um, but here's the deal. Here at Hope, we don't want to play church. Uh, this is the kind of community um, that we are, where we embrace people who are broken and point them to Jesus who through his grace makes us brand new and gives us a new identity, a new way to live, a new way to walk, where we still don't have to pretend (laughs) that we have it all together. See, hope is a place that whether you don't know Jesus or you have been a Christian for a long time, you can come as you are. No hiding, no shuck and jive. This is a place where you can be real about your brokenness, where you're not pressured to just try a little harder You don't have to fake it and act like you have it all together. This is a place where our goal is not to make you into religious posers who pretend that everything is always fine. This is a place where people who don't have it all together, including me, um, are welcomed and embraced. And then we step into what Jesus invites us into where he makes us new. And it's a journey. But that's church. Let me just get, let me get a little, let me meddle just for a minute. How about you? How about not just us as a church? How about you in your everyday life? Because uh, maybe you've tried for a long time to just get it right. You're just trying to get it right. You've been trying to live the Christian life. You've been trying to read the right Christian books and watch the right Christian TV shows and speak the Christian lingo and paste a smile on your face, but, but something, you know something's missing. You try as hard as you can. You strive. You use all the willpower and tips you can to change, but you keep blowing it. You hear about this stuff, and you want to live in the abundant life of the kingdom of God, but you spend all your energy just trying to manage your sin 
And maybe for some of you, you're so tired of failing again and again and again that you're just ready to give up on this deal. Do you ever think, you know, this Christianity thing, it just seems so easy for other people, but I can't get it right. I keep blowing it over and over. Maybe I don't have what it takes. You ever think that? Well, if that's where you're at, guess what? That's exactly where God wants you to be and meets you. Because it's when we get to that place of desperate dependence, when we realize that we are the poor in spirit. And that apart from the grace of God, there is no hope. And so when we come to a place of brokenness like that, guess what Jesus says to you? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours, yours is the kingdom. He's saying you're blessed, like it's your lucky day. Because you know what broken people come up hungry for? Amazing grace, amazing grace. And guess what they get? They get grace, they get it. So when I feel broken, I come face to face with my need for God. I see that he's my only hope, that my strength is not gonna cut it. My own ability in my flesh is not gonna cut it. My only hope is to draw on God's resources. And he says, here you go, kid. (laughs) I have been waiting for you to empty your hands and turn to me. Doug, are are you ready to partner with me in an entirely different kind of life? Dave Johnson said it this way, those who admit they can't crank it out themselves are ripe for amazing grace. Amazing grace. Now, friends, if you can relate to that at all, what we just talked about this morning, buckle up for the next couple of months as we work our way through all of these upside-down statements of Jesus because they are good news. They are good news, and I believe that God wants to use these passages, these words of Jesus to bring new healing and new freedom and levels of freedom to us that we might not even have thought about before um, and that he wants to bring grace to every one of us that's here today. Now as the band comes, I wanna talk to another group real quickly here. This morning, maybe you've been trying to figure out this relationship with God thing for a while. It hasn't quite come together. You keep wondering, like, am I missing something? Like, I I can't quite get it right. Um, Or maybe you're feeling broken this morning. And if that's you, are you ready to come to God? Are you ready to come to him just as you are? Because if you are, you are in the right place this morning. And so I'm going to pray. And if you um, sense God even just kind of tugging at you, maybe uh, that's even how you'd describe it, or you just have a sense, yeah, I I need to say yes to Jesus. Um, I want you to pray with me. In fact, will you stand with me? Everyone stand together. And if you've never made that decision before to say yes to Jesus, to a relationship with him, I'm gonna ask you to say these words um, right now with me 
um, or quietly in your heart. In fact, let's, let's all, let's every one of us in the room here, pray these words out loud to encourage those of us who are making that decision today. Let's, let's pray this out loud today. Just repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for guiding me to this decision today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I can see now that you are my only hope. So I choose you. I cannot make it on my own. So I choose you. I turn from sin and I choose you. I choose now to trust you, Jesus, as my only hope. I want to follow you, Jesus. I give myself to you. Amen. Amen. Um, Would everybody just leave their eyes uh, closed and their head bowed? And um, if you are someone that prayed that for the first time today, I just want to congratulate you because that is an amazing, important decision. You will never make a decision that important in your life ever again. And so with everybody, nobody's looking around. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to start out on my left, your right. Um, Will you just wave your hand at me or just look up at me? Make eye contact if you're on the left. Prayed that prayer. Amen. All right. Excellent. Anybody here in the middle section, just wave your hand at me or, or look up. Anybody on the left side, your left, my right? Anybody over in this section here? Anybody? Thank you, Jesus, for the two people that that made that decision today. Yeah. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. The rest of you can look up now. Uh, For those of you that did pray, if you want to pray after the service here, um, there's a prayer team that is right in